Hello everyone and uh, welcome to the first ever episode of the World of Sports podcast hosted by Diego Sandoval. I am your host Diego Sandoval and today we will be discussing the return of sports and how the MLB and the NBA specifically have handled returning to action during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, If you would like to follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram, be sure to check us out at TWOS podcast. So let's start with the MLB. The MLB season starts this Thursday, July 23rd with two two games that open up a weekend series. It'll be a Yankees Nationals series in Washington and a Dodgers Giants series in LA, I believe. And after those two games on Thursday, the rest of the league will start on Friday with three-game weekend series. Now, the MLB has an interesting situation with this whole pandemic compared to a league like the NBA or the NHL, in which the season never started before the pandemic hit. They were still in spring training, so they were able to kind of shut things down without ever starting which made it a bit easier to shut down during the pandemic. But the one thing about the MLB is that it took them way too long to come to a decision in terms of when they're going to play, how they're going to play, and just how the season will play out. And part of that blame goes to the players themselves, but also part of that blame goes to Commissioner Rob Manfred and the owners association so it took them if it see the pandemic hit and they canceled spring training in march and they made the decision in june so it took them multiple months to come to some type of decision on how to play mlb baseball in 2020 and like i said the blame i feel like can go to both sides basically the gist of it is that The players wanted to be paid their money, their salary, as if it were a regular 162-game season like it usually is. But obviously, being that the season hasn't started yet and it's July, it's not going to be a regular season. So the owners wanted to spend the money on the players as if it were just a 60-game season. So the players who just signed their massive contracts like a Garrett Cole or a you know Mike Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, all those guys, they're getting paid significantly less money than they would if it were a 162 game season. And that was the main reason for it taking so long for the MLB to come to a decision in terms of how to go about playing this season. But it got to a point unfortunately where Manfred had to use his executive power to simply just set a schedule for the players and give them a date to report, which, to be honest, is probably the worst case scenario for the MLB because now there's tension between the players union and the owners in that players want to get paid what they deserve, but the owners don't want to pay them for some for whatever reason, but finally Manfred stepped in and said, here, we're going to have a 60-game season, 
and there's going to be plenty of testing available for all the players. Physical distancing will be required, and obviously no fans will be allowed in 2020. So once they came to that decision, it became kind of a logistics thing where there's so many different moving parts with just 60 games compared to the 162 regular season games in that people started asking, oh, like, where do you play? Who do you play against? Do you have to really go across country with the whole travel issues nowadays? But they came to a decision where 60 total games, 40 divisional games. So that would mean, for example, the Dodgers who are in the NL West, they are going to play 40 games against teams from the NL West. So the D-backs, the Giants, the Padres, and the Rockies. And then 20 interleague games based on geographic location. So the reason they did this is to obviously limit travel as much as possible. They want players to stick to their regions as much as they can. So what this means is, like, say, the San Francisco Giants, they normally wouldn't play the Oakland Athletics very often simply because they're in the American League and the Giants are in the National League. But with this new geographical location games, 20 games in the season, they're going to be playing the Athletics for one or two series simply because they are a bus drive away from each other. That would be the same for, say, teams like the Dodgers and the Angels who are in the same city, the Mets and the Yankees. It's it's all in an effort to limit the amount of travel by players to help limit the spread of this this virus so that's basically the gist of the scheduling it's 60 games 40 divisional 20 games against teams that are close to you in geographic in a geographic sense but then one of the biggest things that was changed just for this season was that there will be a designated hitter across the league even in the national league so obviously for years it's been DH in the in the American League, but pitchers will hit in the National League. However, this year the DH will be in the National League, and this is just another way that the players and the owners are trying to limit the injuries in terms of for their pitchers just because they're already at risk having taken a couple months off, their arms are at risk, and they decided they just wanted to keep it keep the pitchers limited to just pitching and having an extra hitter in national league lineups now this should be interesting simply because there are so many teams in the national league that will actually benefit a lot with the dh and one of the ones i really wanted to highlight was the los angeles dodgers so this dodgers team is obviously amazing they just they lost in the in the NLDS last year to the Nationals, who ended up becoming the champions. But two World Series back-to-back in 2017-2018. And then they added former MVP Mookie Betts to an already crowded outfield and just overall lineup in general. So teams like the Dodgers can add one more hitter to their lineup without having any consequences because... Where a, a pitcher would usually be there, which, you know, no hate to pitchers hitting, but it's usually an automatic out or a sacrifice bunt. 
you can add a guy like Jock Peterson or Kike Hernandez who actually have the ability to change the game with one swing. And so, you know, there's other teams that will benefit from this, you know, like the Padres. I'll get into them later, but there's just teams that will definitely benefit from this designated hitter in the National League. So that's one of the big things that changed during this 2020 season. Should be interesting to look into. Another thing is that for every inning of an extra inning game, the a runner will start on second base. So that might sound a little complicated, but they do the same thing in college softball and most softball associations. But So say a game is tied going into extras. At the top of the 10th inning, the last batter to be out, so say the the fourth hitter leads off the inning, the number three hitter will start on second base. And so they'll start on second base with no outs. It'll be a regular inning just that the guy is on second base. This is just another effort to speed up games because they don't want people getting injured. They, they want to keep it entertaining. There's only 60 games. They kind of want to speed up the process, fit in a, a little season in this short amount of time. But this change will basically only affect the the timing of games and you know there's the people that claim that baseball is too boring and takes too long but this should help speed up the timing of baseball just to just so games aren't lasting 18 innings 20 innings i'm sure we won't see a game go longer than 12 innings this year simply because of this rule and speaking of timing and just like the quickness pace pace of play stuff like that for baseball they are also instituting a three batter minimum for pitchers so what this means is a relief pitcher can no longer come into the game and pitch to one batter get his strikeout or get his ground out and then be pulled out of the game which can definitely change the way that Managers handle their pitching staff and the fact that you can't just bring on a pitcher to get one or two outs because it's a righty on righty or lefty on lefty matchup. You're going to have to actually like look ahead into the lineup and be able to put your relievers out there for at least three batters. So that should definitely be an interesting new aspect of the 2020 season along with the DH and the the runner on second base to start the extra innings. And then, obviously, in terms of safety precautions, there are no fans. And every player that is not involved in the game, so the players that aren't actively on the field or in the starting lineup, they will be they must practice physical distancing. So what this means is if you're not in the game, you have to be just six feet away from those who are or wearing a mask obviously all coaches will be wearing a mask or at least that's what that's the trend that has been seen in these inner squad games and exhibition games that are played these few days before the season starts on Thursday so that's another thing that should be interesting players physical distancing when they're not actually in the game players in the bullpen spread out should be interesting to see but again Nobody really knows what this season's going to look like, so should be interesting to see on Thursday night in these first two games. 
So now that we got like the kind of logistics and season layout, I kind of wanted to go into some key things to look out for during this 60 game condensed season. And one of the really interesting things that I am going to be looking forward to is just like the statistics that we're going to see. Like the last nobody's hit for a batting average of 400 in many years. So, and the fact that it's only 60 games makes it very likely that someone could. And so the, like you wonder who who has that capability, who's able to hit for 400. You look at guys like Tim Anderson on the White Sox, who who had the batting title last year with, I believe he was he hit around 330, 340-ish, and that was enough to get him the batting title in 100, 162 games, but 335 last year led the league. So... If you can do that over 162 games, it's really likely that a player can get hot for a couple weeks stretch, and that's enough to put him over 400. Tim Anderson, Jeff McNeil's another name on the Mets. There's just so many guys that have the ability to do it, can get on base, can do what they got to do. But, and along with that batting average, you you think of the home run numbers, like 60 games. We're gonna look at maybe 20 home runs that's like that'll be a pretty good pretty good home run number and obviously those guys will be the Aaron Judge if he stays healthy Pete Alonzo Cody Bellinger but that's one thing that'll definitely be interesting to look for is the difference in numbers and how they deal with that like if someone does hit for 400 or a new major league record will that be considered in the in the stat books as the greatest batting average season of all time. I'm sure there'll be an asterisk next to it if the if it is, but I'm interested to see if it's even considered at all in the in the, you know, history books as a amazing season. I'm it's an amazing feat to hit for 400 over 60 games, but to consider that you hit for 400 for an entire regular season would be I feel like not fair to those who actually do it in 162 games and then other than individual stats it's it'll be interesting to see the actual team records and how teams fare with this the 60 game layout so like will, will we see a team reach 40 wins a 40 and 20 record in 60 games is pretty good um and not a lot of teams will be able to, get, if any, will be able to get to 40 wins. The teams that come to mind are the Dodgers with that that lineup just, I feel like, is unmatched by any other. You could put their backups on another team and they'd make the starting lineup. It's it's kind of ridiculous that they can have two MVPs and then a guy like Corey Seager, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, Gavin Lux. You think of like the players on that team. And then you have the Yankees who just signed Garrett Cole to the massive deal if they can keep Judge and Stanton healthy for 60 games that team is and they have obviously they have Glaber Torres they've got plenty of bats in that lineup as well and then there's the twins the shocker team of 2019 who came out and just seemed like they were hitting home runs left and right signed Josh Donaldson that team is that team's looking pretty good on the offensive end. They just need to figure out their pitching. And then 
I want to say the one other team that has the ability to actually get to 40 wins is probably the Astros. And, you know, that team is talented, whether they cheated or not. I mean, I think it's a pretty talented team. Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Bregman, and then they have the pitching staff of Verlander. They lost Cole, but that team's still strong. But should be interesting to see who who gets to the top of their divisions and how how many wins that actually would take in order to get to the top. And then there's the teams, the surprise teams that could get hot for a couple weeks and that'll vault vault them into the playoffs. You know, the the younger teams or the guys that maybe aren't as established that have the ability to play well in a short span of time, but they just haven't been able to over 162 games. So like the teams that come to mind for me are like the Blue Jays, the the young guys in Toronto. You got Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Gavin Biggio. You know that they just signed Hinjin Ryu. He'll be their number one starter most likely. That team has enough firepower to get hot and if they get hot enough, that could definitely vault them into a playoff spot and they could possibly even make a run in the playoffs. But just the fact that it's 60 games makes it it's so much more interesting, this whole playoff race, because every single game counts. Because if you think about it, 60 compared to 162, each game is like two or three games in reality. That's how much it should mean. So every game has a, this weighted sense of meaning. So you have the Blue Jays, and then you have a team like the Padres, who, again, the Dodgers dominate that division, but they have guys like Fernando Tatis, who wasn't able to stay healthy all of last year, but if he's able to for 60 games, he's a deadly weapon. And then you add on Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer. They've got a bunch of young arms. If those arms are able to stay healthy and stay consistent within 60 games, that team could be one an interesting team to look out for along with those two teams you have the White Sox who again like the Padres like the Blue Jays are just super young and like super talented lots of just potential Yohan Moncada is gonna take the league by storm in my opinion I think he's on his way up to becoming one of the best players in the MLB and then they also have the young arms like the like the Padres where it's it's like if they can get five to ten quality starts within the 60 games out of each of their pitchers there's a big possibility that they can make a run in the al central and possibly for the wild card spot in the al but other than that the mlb has done i want to say terrible (laughs) in amidst this pandemic in terms of being able to return to play they just the players and the owners, it was a debacle that definitely didn't need to happen. Baseball could have been playing this entire time. It's one of those sports where it's almost social, socially distant already. Like in terms of there's no – you could go an entire baseball game without becoming – without coming into actual physical contact with a person. And that's why I feel like it separates itself from basketball or football because it's – a much safer alternative because you have guys, the third baseman and the first baseman, yeah, they're like throwing balls to each other, but they're not ever going to like come into direct contact. 
almost every position is six feet apart aside from the catcher and the hitter, for example. But the past is the past, as they say, and it's looking like the season is going to start on Thursday. Again, Thursday, July 23rd with the Yankees, Nationals, and the Dodgers, Giants opening it up with the rest of the teams following on Friday, July 24th. So keep an eye out for all those things I mentioned, the DH across the league, the geographical location games, the no fans watching, seeing how players go about physically distancing, stuff like that, and then just will a team be able to catch fire that maybe hasn't made the playoffs in a while, such as the Padres or the Blue Jays? Or the Blue Jays made it a couple years ago, but just teams like that, Padres, White Sox, where you don't really think of them as playoff teams, but then once if they're able to get hot, they can become a solid playoff team this season. So yeah, that's my two cents on the MLB and how they've handled their return and what to look out for. So now we're going to move on to the NBA, which was in a much different situation from the MLB, like very different. They were in the middle of the season when the pandemic hit. I w- I'll never forget. I was sitting watching the, the Thunder Jazz game when the season got canceled and everyone was freaking out and nobody really knew where they were going to go from that because the season was 75% of the way done. They were a month away from the playoffs and – Everyone was kind of gearing up for the playoffs, and no one knew what to do once the season got, or I guess suspended now now that it's coming back up. So they had a decision on their hands as to whether they should just scrap the entire season or try to pick it up at some point and finish it out in some shape, which they actually were able to, able to do in a very unique way. Um, if you aren't aware they're they're calling it quote-unquote the bubble so all teams that were invited by the way 22 teams were invited which are the top nine teams from the east and the top 13 teams from the west the reason why that number is different is because in the east there was only one team that was close enough to the eight seed the wizards are the nine seed they were the only team close enough to the eight seed to make a run for the playoffs whereas in the west there are quite a few teams that are vying for that last eight spot so there's 22 teams that were invited to this bubble and the bubble is located in disney world in florida so yeah basketball in disney world um all teams are quarantined there so they they're quarantined in the hotel resorts or what wherever they're staying and they're not allowed to leave the campus the disney world campus which is just a kind of bizarre concept when you think about it with all these professional athletes just walking around Disney World, hanging out with each other. You know, it's almost like a it's been it's been compared to like a AAU youth like basketball tournament where every, all the teams are in hotels together and the only place they go is down to the lobby to eat food or to the courts to play. So They've been quarantined for about a week, two weeks now. They've just been practicing, you know, no no games yet. The teams are sticking to themselves. Um, 
So the way it's working is play is is scheduled to resume on July 30th. Um, There will be eight regular season games starting on July 30th. And those eight games are mainly just to kind of determine seeding. So, you know, who gets that eight spot if an eight jumps up to a seven, stuff like that. But those eight games shouldn't mean much besides deciding the eight seed, which I'll go into later about especially the eight seed in the West, which is a very interesting situation as of right now. But the eight games probably shouldn't matter too much for teams like the Bucks, the Lakers, the Clippers. They're pretty solidified in their one and two seeds, stuff like that. But so, yeah, eight, there will be eight regular season games for each team. And the way they, they decided who plays who was they just took eight games from the remaining schedule from every team. So, like, for example, the Lakers and Clippers still had a game to play before the season ended. So they will be playing each other on July 30th to open up this resumed season. And after those eight games, the playoffs will begin on August 17th. And from then, the playoffs will be as as usual, you know, the seven-game series for the finals and everything. They're they're not condensing the final the finals or the playoffs at all. Just in a, which I think is a good idea. You know, leave the playoffs as it as it is. But obviously, you can't fill in for every single regular season game. That would just take too long. And with the playoffs beginning August seventeenth, that means that the finals will begin September thirtieth. So mark that date, July thirtieth. Season starts August seventeenth. Playoffs start and September 30th finals, NBA finals begin. So they're, they've got a much better layout than the MLB in my opinion in the fact that everyone is at in one location. It's almost impossible. I don't want to say impossible. It's very hard to spread the virus within this little bubble that they're in or even contract it just simply because everyone's getting tested. It's either... I don't know, it's daily or every other day, one of those two, but, you know, they're very safe, they're, they have to wear masks everywhere on campus, they're just doing a very good job at trying to stay safe, and I think they're doing a much better job than MLB in the fact that, like, they're able to all stay in one condensed area, which, I mean, that also is simply because, like, it's an entire different sport, and I don't know if you'd even be able to do that with baseball, but I think that basketball is much is doing much better in that field compared to the MLB. But, yeah. Other than, you know, safety protocols and stuff like that, I just got a few key things to look out for just during this season restart to see, you know, what what happens, you know. Uh, number one, got to mention LeBron James. You know, every season of his career, it seems as though, like, He's made the playoffs every single season except for once or twice, you know. I think it's twice. But it seems as though every season he kind of slows down in the middle, within like the middle games. But then towards the end of the season, he just flips a switch and is able to take over during the playoffs. And he's admitted himself, he's never like fully rested. So like he's always... Because he's always he's playing forty to forty eight minutes almost every single game, and this might be the first time 
in his career that we will see LeBron James fully like fully rested and ready to play. And we know age hasn't done any he he's in year 17 and he's still an MVP candidate every single season which is in and of itself an amazing feat, but it should be very interesting to see how he plays and is able to perform when he's actually fully rested. Like he He's been able to rest his body in rehab or whatever he's ne- he's needed to do for the last two or three months. And he could come back as an entire different just beast because he's been able to take that rest and take a, take a rest on his body just so that he's able to come back in full form. So the Lakers are obviously, um, in my opinion, I think that they are in the best situation to to win the NBA championship. What with, you know, LeBron, Anthony Davis. Yes, they did lose. Avery Bradley did opt out, if you were not aware, which who was their starting point guard during during the regular season. Um so that should be interesting. They signed J.R. Smith. Deion Waiters will be playing with the team for the first time. But I still think they're five and a half games above the Clippers as the one seed in the West. I don't think they're moving from that spot until the playoffs. So, but then, you know, you've got the Bucks, who I'll talk about in a little bit. You've got the Bucks, who will challenge them in the East if they make it to the finals. Um, but, yeah, that's one, one very key thing that I think should be watched is LeBron James fully rested, fully healthy, as he says. He says he's ready to play and ready to get going. So one that'll definitely, as always, the King will be someone to look out for during this NBA restart. And um, the second thing, I talked about the Clippers being five and a half away from the Lakers. I don't think they're catching them there. I think they're 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 content at the two spot. You know, the Nuggets are two a half one and a half games behind them, but I think the Clippers are solid at the two seed. But the one wild card I think for the Clippers is Paul George. And Paul George signed with the Clippers or was traded to the Clippers last offseason in a shocker right after Kawhi signed with the Clippers. But I think Paul George is the wild card simply because he's just been so up and down this season. Obviously, injuries played a big big part in that, but Paul George is one of those players where if he's on, he can shut out a game in terms of he's one of the better defensive players in the league. He can shoot the three. He's, he's athletic enough to drive. You know, he's just one of those players that could make the difference in a seven-game series along with Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard's a constant... He'll, he'll always put up the solid numbers. He'll play the defense. But if Paul George can bounce back from an injury-riddled season and, like, return to some form of Paul George that we're used to seeing, then I think the Clippers are definitely a team to look out for. Um, just as throughout the home stretch, you know, they've got a scrappy team. They always – that's their th- that's their kind of – brand is you know Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, these scrappy guys who maybe don't catch the like aren't the flashiest players but they're able to get the job done. Even Kawhi Leonard, you know, he's the the quiet guy 
who doesn't really show emotion, <laughs> but you know, they're able to get the job done. So if, but without Paul George, I don't think that that team really stands a chance against the Lakers and possibly even a couple other teams in the West, you know, like the, you could say the Rockets have a shot, maybe the Nuggets, but I think Paul George is that one wild card that nobody really knows what his situation is and should be interesting to see what, how he comes back and what form he's in after just being riddled with injuries all year. And the other, let's let's go over to the Eastern Conference to talk about the other number one seed in the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think it's pretty obvious that Giannis is on his way to a back-to-back MVP. You could argue LeBron because he just kind of caught fire over the past over the the late stretch before the season got suspended, but hearing by the way the that the 2019-2020 NBA awards, so the MVP, rookie of the year, coach of the year, all that stuff, that will be based off of the season before the pandemic hit so none of these eight regular season games will play any factor in it um i think that Giannis will win that mvp he puts up the numbers to deserve it he's got his team in a one seed he's i think the most valuable player you could obviously there's an argument for lebron because without the without lebron you know the lakers are an entire different team but then without Giannis, the bucks are in my opinion not a not even maybe a playoff team He's able to take that team to the next level. But anyways, what I was trying to get at with the Bucks is I'm just kind of skeptical if Giannis has enough help around him with the roster to be a real threat, like even within the Eastern Conference. I think that there's teams in the East that have the capability to take down the Bucks. Like you look at like the Raptors, another they lost Kawhi, but they're still was it 46 and 18 on the season? Siakam is a obviously an all-star caliber player. Kyle Lowry is good. Fred Van Vliet. They've got solid pieces that could come together and take down the Bucks. There's also teams like the Sixers down in the sixth seed, and like you don't really think of them, but then you think of all the the power, you know Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Those guys have the capability to take over a game and. If they face off with the Bucks, it could be an interesting season, interesting series, excuse me. But, you know, Giannis has Chris Middleton, another all-star, who's a great shooter, great player. But other than that, you know, Brooke Lopez, okay, you know, guys like Eric Bledsoe. But I feel like that team might not have enough around Giannis to succeed late in the playoffs. Like, I, I'm pretty – Giannis will get him – past the first round, maybe even the second round easily. But once you get to teams, like I said, Raptors, Celtics, Sixers, those teams may have enough enough star power, even just team, what's the word? Like, just they're just a good enough team to take down the Bucks. just because if Giannis has an off night, it that Bucks team might just fall apart. Because if you think about it, Giannis is giving him 30 to 40 points a game almost, which is ridiculous. And then also 10 to 15 rebounds. Without that in the lineup, that's a big hit for the Bucks Because 
Middleton's a great, obviously an all-star. He's a great shooter, but I don't think he's enough to carry a team past first or second round. So they're really going to have to rely on Giannis, and I think that's going to be their downfall is if Giannis has a bad game, then the entire team has a bad game, and that just isn't a good thing for the Bucks. Now, this is probably the most interesting storyline for me in with this whole NBA restart, with this whole bubble, but it's the eight seed in the West. So a lot of people were kind of upset when they found out that they weren't just taking the top eight teams from each conference, which I get it would have made more sense if they just took the top eight teams and threw them into a playoff bracket. But since there were, there were teams that were close enough to the eight seed, they, the NBA or Adam Silver, whoever it was decided that it would be fair enough. It would be fair to take some teams who weren't, technically in the playoffs when the season restarted and put them into the bubble so as of right now before any games played the one through six seeds in the west are secured so that's the lakers clippers nuggets jazz thunder rockets in that order um rockets and thunder rocket honestly all those seeds could flip in some way I don't again I don't think the Lakers are moving from the one seed or the Clippers the two, but three through six could flip flop, but I think those are pretty pretty set. And then the seven seed is the Mavericks, who aren't technically clinched, but I'm pretty sure they're like one win away maybe from clinching. Because they're forty and twenty seven, which is seven games before above the eight seed. So I'm pretty sure that they're, they're not technically clinched, but they're solidified in that spot. And then the eight seed. So the eight seed race is the thing to look out for, as I said. As of right now, John Morant has the Grizzlies at the eight seed with a 32-33 and 33 record. Behind them, there are three teams that are two and a half games behind the Grizzlies. And that's the Trailblazers, Pelicans, and Kings. And then the Spurs are four games behind. And the Suns... The Suns got invited because they're it's technical they're technically able to clinch the eight seed, but I don't think they'll do it just because they're six games behind and there's eight games in the regular season. But in my opinion, it'll be the Grizzlies, Blazers, Pelicans, Kings are the teams to teams that'll have a legitimate shot at the eight seed. So John Morant had an amazing rookie season. Rookie of the year, in my opinion, um, was able to take this Grizzly team into a playoff spot as of right now after they weren't even close last year. But 32-33 and 33 record. And Blazers are the number nine seed, 29-37. and 37. Pelicans have a 28-36 and 36 record, as do the Kings. Now, the Trailblazers are an interesting interesting team because Damian Lillard might be one of the he's definitely one of the best scorers in the league you could argue top five because if he wants to take over a game he absolutely has the ability to and even take over a series if Damian Lillard is able to get hot we saw that kind of towards the end of 
end of the season where he had the, the ridiculous stretch of 50-point games and 40- to 50-point games, and he was just demolishing teams by himself. He, uh, he, he can carry that team past the Grizzlies and even give the Lakers a run for their money with the first round of the playoffs. And that's just... Damian Lillard, I think, is one of those players where you don't really know how much he can do until he does it. And what I mean by that is, like, you see Damian Lillard on a roster and you're like, oh, he's a he's a very good player. But then he'll go and drop 50, and then, you're, and then you go, oh, wow, he is one of the best players in the NBA. You forget about how good Damian Lillard actually is until he has those type of games. You know, those same guys, another guy like that is like, let me think. You know, there's guys that are kind of under the radar superstars where it's like you never think of them having such good of games, but they end up just like, you know, even West. No, Westbrook's pretty, pretty solidified. But anyways, Damon Lillard, I think, has that ability to, to jump them into the eight seed. Um, we will actually see the Blazers Grizzlies will be their first both those teams first. Reg, quote unquote regular season games back in the bubble on July 31st, that Friday. And I think that game will definitely set the tone for the rest of the remaining regular season games. But yeah, so watch out for Damian Lillard and the Blazers. Definitely a contender for that to take the Grizzly spot there. And then you got everyone's, everyone's favorite young exciting team in the New Orleans Pelicans. Rumor has it Zion Zion Williamson has lost 20 pounds, which is ridiculous, first of all. And apparently it's all fat that he burned off and he kept all the muscle. So, and that was the one thing everyone was so skeptical about was his weight. Will he be able to stay healthy with, you know, all the wear and tear to his knees and stuff like that. But, if he's actually lost that that much weight and is in great physical shape, I think that the league should be scared because you know Zion has his the Zion fans have their argument for him as rookie of the year, but you know with the amount of games he played, he was injured for most of the season. I don't think they can give it to him over Jaw. But now that he's back and if he's fully healthy, then um that team is definitely dangerous. You know, Lonzo was able to kind of step up and become that passing point guard that the Pelicans wanted him to be. Uh, Brandon Ingram turned into a star after he got traded from the Lakers. Uh, Drew Holiday is obviously a solid player. They've got guys like Josh Hart, Jackson Hayes, just solid solid role players that, that could help a team vault into that eight seed. But I think the main storyline with the Pelicans is obviously Zion and just his his value if he's that healthy is might be one of the he might be one of the better players in the league if he's at peak performance because we saw him just dominate players once he came back from injury. And if he's able to do that within these last eight games, they can definitely make that jump over the Blazers and the Grizzlies to the eight seed. And then the one other team that's tied with the Pelicans and the Blazers is the Kings, but 
I don't really see the Kings making a big push. Um, Darren Fox is a good player. Uh, you know, they've got a couple good – Buddy Heald. They've got good solid players, but I just don't see, think it's enough to put them into that eight seed. And even if they were to make the eight seed, I think the only teams that will actually pose a threat to the Lakers at the one seed are the Blazers and the Pelicans, just simply because they have that that one or two guys that can take over a game if necessary. The Grizzlies have jaw, but I just don't think – I don't see that in him yet. If he is able to kind of develop his game, develop maybe a jump shot, then I think that Jaw has the ability, will have the ability to take over games. Like a, He reminds you of like a Russell Westbrook type of guy. But as of now, I don't see him posing that big of a threat to uh, LeBron and the Lakers. Uh, but obviously Damian Lillard has that quality. Zion Williamson alongside Brandon Ingram, that duo definitely has the ability to take the Lakers far in a series. But um, I just don't see the Kings having that. So, but yeah, eight seed in the West will definitely be the big storyline of these eight regular season games left before the playoffs for the NBA as they as they work their way to restarting amidst the pandemic. But, um, yeah, so we talked about the MLB, uh, how they were able to come to a conclusion on how to start their season, uh, all the logistics behind their season and what to look out for. And then we also talked about the NBA and how they were able to handle it much better, in my opinion, and how they haven't have been able to bring all the teams to one disclo- one uh, location. And then I also talked about those key things to look out for as the season restarts. But, um, yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening to the first ever episode of the World of Sports podcast hosted by yours truly. Um, be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at TWOS podcast. Um, I know this one might have been a little bit a little bit rough around the edges, but I'm still getting getting used to it and learning everything. So. I'll see you guys next time. My name is Diego Sandoval, signing off.